I love the way the First Gen Lounge makes me feel. Because it creates a space where I belong, where we're able to create community. The fact that it's a community. It's a safe place. It also gives me a place to understand different perspectives. The stories of these individuals prescribe transformational perspective. I receive encouragement, enlightenment, empowerment. And also serve as a catalyst to just keep going. Where we're able to be our true selves. I'm allowed to be an unapologetic first gen. And above all else, tell our story. And every episode is unique. I love it. I'm your host, Dr. Eve, and I'd like to welcome you to the First Gen Lounge. All right, good people. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Sitting here today with someone who's become a really good friend of mine, and we're just going to keep growing and glowing out here in 2019 and beyond. I have with me Rookie Tajani. That name sounds like something that should be in essence. I'm just going to tell you now. Rookie. Okay, let's speak it into existence. Let's do that. Hey, girl. Hi. Hi, Dr. Eve. How are you? I am doing well, doing well. So glad to have you with us on today. Been looking forward to having this conversation for for a long time now because you are so full of energy and we out here first gen getting it. Yes, we are. And I just want to start off by just saying, I am so excited to have this conversation with you. From the moment I connected with you on social media, you just have this amazing, radiant spirit. And I'm just really, really excited for our relationship, for this podcast, for whatever, you know, is going to happen. So yes, let's do this. Oh, me too. Yeah. I'm, I'm so cheesy, but like, girl, I really, I'm emo and like, I just really be feeling <laughs> that. So let's, let's, let's do it. So look, I'd like to jump into it. Uh, I don't want to waste time. Let's tell the people who you are and what it is that you do, because I think they'll find it really exciting. Absolutely. So my name, as Dr. Eve mentioned, is Rookie Tajani, and I am the founder and creator of the First Generation Purpose Project. And that's essentially an initiative created to help first generation professionals succeed in the workplace, their career, and in their life by utilizing the grit and the tenacity that's already on the inside of them. So that's what I've been working on for about a few months now, and it's really making progress. So please follow me on Instagram just to hear stories and to get tips on how you can be a first-gen rock star. So my day job is a corporate litigation associate. I'm an attorney. I'm a first-generation lawyer, and I work in the Silicon Valley, and I feel really, really blessed. I work at a law firm working on litigation, trademark, copyright securities. I work with high-profile entertainers, celebrities, and it's just an amazing opportunity. And because I've had the opportunity and the privilege to navigate this space, I really just want to take time to share with first-gen rock stars the, the ins and outs of navigating an elite space like a big corporate law firm in corporate America. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. So what made you decide to be a lawyer? What was it that interests you in the field itself? Yeah, so I wanted to be a lawyer since I was five years old and it really came, well, first I'm Nigerian, so I don't think I had a choice, frankly, but... <laughs> <laughs> I was either, you know, my mother said, you need to be a doctor or a lawyer or engineer. So it's, I think that's just a big Nigerian joke that goes around. But I actually truly wanted to be a lawyer since I was five. Ever since I heard like what I call the rudimentary version of Brown v. Board of Education and learned about Justice Thurgood Marshall and learned about the NAACP Legal Defense Fund and really saw the law as a way to essentially give people voices and to really advocate on behalf of people in pursuit of justice and equality and 
and fairness. And, you know, I think along the way to becoming a lawyer, I had a lot of mentors and a lot of people who continually pushed me towards this, what used to be like this lofty, big dream of mine. From the time of five years old to now, I've really stayed consistent in pursuit of my purpose. I love that. So you mentioned staying in pursuit of your purpose and you started the First Generation Purpose Project. Yeah. You are, you know, really doing, like I said, the advocacy for first generation professionals, which is really major because a part of the first gen lounge and a lot of the projects that I en- endeavor to, you know, to do are because after I finished school, college in particular, uh, undergrad, there were no resources for me. There was nobody to hold my hand and, and help me, you know, get through life like I would have wanted to. Yeah. So thinking about, you know, why you started this platform. What do you think is some advice that you'd want to give to first-gen professionals now, even as you are an entrepreneur, I'm a lawyer, a professional, and you're in California and in Silicon Valley? Like, you're not just anywhere in California. Like, you out there. So you're in, yeah. in a space where it's very, in my words, choice is going to be elite and just learning to navigate all the spaces. So, yeah, what advice would you give to someone right now? Yeah, and I love that you mentioned just the need for these resources, Eve, because just like you, you know, first in my family to obtain an advanced degree. And I I do believe that there are amazing resources out there that help first generation students. I think there are a plethora of resources that help us, you know, navigate the school environment, how to talk to us about how to talk to teachers or how to engage conversation with our colleagues in a school setting. But just like you mentioned, once we graduated, it was very, it was really like good luck and Godspeed. And there wasn't really a lot of resources to help us understand how to navigate life as a first generation professional and in particular, how to navigate the workplace as a first generation professionals, how to understand the unwritten rules for success, how to understand that maybe not every time you want to get an assignment, you go to the assignment coordinator. Maybe you grab a lunch with the partner or the rainmaker and just understanding that that was the way to navigate life essentially. So one piece of advice that I would really give to first generation professionals is really hone in on the importance of investing in yourself. One of the talks that I give as a result of the first generation purpose project is the importance of investing in yourself and why is it important to invest in yourself first gen rock star it's because you're your most valuable entity i think for the first generation purpose project we pride ourselves on putting first generation professionals back in the center of their narrative you know after all of your experiences If your experience is anything like mine, we come from a background of giving. We give our time and resources to care for our families. We make sure that our family members and our cousins and our aunts and our mothers and our grandmothers are financially and mentally secure. And we do that a lot all before we look out for ourselves. But I think as first-generation professionals, if we want to create wealth and resources for the next generation, we have to be willing to invest in ourselves. So I'm really glad that we're doing this podcast because I really want to remind first-generation professionals that not only is it okay to invest in yourself, it's absolutely necessary if you want to live out the fullness of your purpose. So before I go off on this huge, you know, monologue in essence, I'm going to stop. 
Oh, no, 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 no. You're okay. You're okay. Because it's actually um, a great segue to what I was going to ask you next. And that is really what does investing in yourself look like? Because as you said, we give to our families, we give to the people around us. We try to figure out how to give to ourselves. And then sometimes we look up and we're like, I don't have anything left to give to myself. What does investing look like, you know, on a personal front, on the professional front, you know, in, in your business? Because I know something that we talked about and, you know, I so said, you guys, again, you know, Ricky and I are definitely, you know, developing a great relationship. And we talk about it all the time. The difference between having a nonprofit and a for-profit business Absolutely. and in having value of what we do and having people to say, this is necessity, you know, for you to Absolutely. invest in yourself. So yeah, talk to us about that. I really want to hear that. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I love that you mentioned, you know, the nonprofit versus for-profit, because in order for people to see the value in us, we have to be able to see the value in ourselves. And we have to be willing to invest the time and the resources in ourselves so we can, you know, come off to other people as a really valuable entity. Because again, we are the most valuable entity in our purpose. So I talk about seven ways to invest in yourself. And for the sake of time, I'll just list them out, even if we don't have the time to really unpack each of them. So the first one is just purchasing and reading books that are in alignment with your career or your level up. The second one is making a budget and forming financial boundaries. The third one is incorporating self-care into your schedule. The fourth one is investing in a therapist or counselor to simply hear you out as you navigate this journey. The fifth one is investing in a career coach. The sixth one is going to workshops or events that simply intrigue you. And the seventh one is redoing your LinkedIn account. So I'll go through the first few, unless Eve stops me for the sake of time. But the first one, again, is purchasing and reading books that are in alignment with your career or your level up. So as I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, I am an attorney. Not to toot my own horn, I am a very good attorney. <laughs> and... I'm from Brooklyn, New York. I'm from Brooklyn. I grew up in the projects of Brooklyn, New York. I grew up in a single parent household. And there were a lot of things that Brooklyn taught me. Brooklyn taught me how to be a tenacious. Brooklyn taught me how to be a hustler. Brooklyn taught me how to really have determination and really go for the things that I wanted. But unfortunately, my upbringing didn't necessarily teach me how to write. So I, you know, graduated from Berkeley Law School. I got into this really, really lofty, beautiful legal position, but my writing skills were just not as strong. And I really had to take the time to one, just admit to myself that I wasn't as strong as I needed to be to be successful as a lawyer and that I really needed to invest in my growth as an attorney. So what I essentially did was really start reading a lot of books. One was called The Convergence Guide to the Young Lawyer. Another one was called like Write Easy or, or How to Write as an Attorney. And I just really started reading these books and replicating a lot of the good writing that I saw from a lot of the top attorneys. And slowly but surely, my writing improves. And now I'm a lot more confident in advocating on behalf of my clients. But I really had to take that time to purchase the books, sit down on Saturday mornings and read the books in detail so I could become a better attorney for my clients. I love that. Yeah. You said something that um, really caught me in, in the tips and I wanted to get to it, but I want to go back and talk about the writing part. Did you ever have anybody tell you that you were a bad writer? Not in so many words, but definitely they told me that I had a lot of opportunity to improve as a writer. And that made me really, really insecure <laughs> as a writer. Mm. 
I remember, and it, and it, you know, when I first became a lawyer, I joined this prestigious law firm, and then a year in, I left and and ended up clerking for a federal judge, an Obama appointed federal judge. And if you know anything about clerkships, it's essentially you're a glorified ghostwriter. You are helping the judge unpack the case. You're researching the law and you're writing essentially the opinion and you go back and forth with the judge. And if the judge essentially agrees with your analysis, she signs it and it becomes law. So there's a lot of, you know, responsibility and a lot of privilege inherent in that job. And I was told, you know, by a couple of people that, you know, I didn't write like a lawyer or I, 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 I could have strengthened my writing in a lot of ways. And it made me really insecure and it made me really terrified to put pen to paper. I remember countless times where I would sit in front of the computer and try to write a legal opinion or try to even write an email. And I would go through a whole rigmarole and have anxiety and just go through all of this. And I really had to just get back to the center of why I was doing this and, and, and remind myself that this was truly my purpose. And which is one of the reasons why I started First Gen Purpose Project and really understand that even if something is my purpose, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be easy. It just means that And I attribute a lot of this to my faith. It just means that God is going to be with me in the midst of it all. So Mm. just like Moses having to free his people or just like Esther having to free her people or just like David becoming the king of Israel, like there were purposes that were so difficult to understand and so difficult to navigate, but they were completed. And just to bring it back, you know, to, to modern times, just like Nelson Mandela and just like Barack Obama and just like all of these amazing leaders who, and Martin Luther King and Thurgood Marshall and Charles Hamilton Houston, like all had amazing purposes and dreams that were crazy difficult to navigate, but they did it and they did it well and they did it successfully because again, it was their purpose. So one of the things that I had to really get clear on is, is this my purpose? And if so, what are the steps that I can do or undergo to essentially effectuate the fullness of my purpose? And for me, that meant taking the sacrifice you know, saying no to a lot of social events at the beginning of my time as a lawyer and sitting down on Saturday mornings and literally writing out sentences that replicated good writing. Mm, Going on NewYorkTimes.com and printing out just articles that I identified with or reading passages or reading poems and physically like writing sentences out. If it took that, that's what I did. And I remember about four months into my clerkship, my judge just saying, I can see the difference. I can see the difference. You're working hard. And now I'm a lot more comfortable when I put pen to paper because I spent so many Saturdays or so many weekends or so many early mornings literally printing out articles highlighting them and physically on a piece of white paper, writing out good sentences, simply writing it out, like getting back to the basics of writing, getting back to the basics of my calling, getting back to the basics of my purpose. And that's essentially how, you know, the First Generation Purpose Project helps first generation professionals navigate their life, navigate their their environment by just getting back to the basics and reminding them this is essentially what you are called to do and here's how to do it. 
That's nice. Um, so let me ask you a question about one of the other tips that you have. And that was when you talked about managing your finances, essentially, and setting boundaries. Oh, yes. That's something that nobody else has said. And that's something that I practice. But I want you to tell the good people what you mean by setting boundaries, because that's important. You are first gen, came from a single parent home yes. and you are a lawyer. And you're in Silicon Valley. So let's, you know, talk about that. You are essentially doing well for yourself. Yeah. And then I'm sure that like many of us, you are the bougie one, <laughs> the one, you know, who's, you know, oh, okay. So she's, she's got it all, but just because I have it all, you know, let's talk about that. Yeah. Cause that, that touch home, that touch home. <laughs> I like nice things. No, but- Amen. <laughs> come on. So yes, one of the tips that I give in terms of investing in yourself is making a budget and forming financial boundaries. So again, how does that look? And I can talk a little bit from experience. So when I, again, I grew up in a single parent household. I didn't grow up budgeting. I didn't grow up understanding the importance of budgeting, but I knew that I was coming into something really different when I graduated from law school. So I wanted to create wealth for not just myself, but for future generations. So the first thing I did when I graduated from law school was I went to Chase. I went to Chase Bank and I sat down with a woman and I said, um, I'm, I need a budget. I literally just walked into a bank and just said, I need a budget. I need, I need to know how to work this money thing. I didn't even know what I was asking, frankly, <laughs> Dr. Eve, but I just, I, I just, I was just willing to engage this journey for whatever it was and wherever it took me. And she helps me, you know, form a brokerage account. She helped me essentially understand what stock investments look like. She helped me understand how to, how to take my check and, and automatically pay off some bills. So she helped me essentially engage the first basic steps of budgeting. And that was really, really helpful for me because I, you know, went from, again, virtually nothing into what some would consider a lot of money working as a, a corporate associate then in New York City. Once the money started coming, the requests came as well. Mm-hmm. Cousins and mom and dad and family members. Oh, rookie, I can't pay my rent this month. Can you can you help a sister out? Or I can't pay my car note this month. Can you help a sister out? And when I first and when the first request started coming in, you know, I was happy to like I had the money, I had the privilege, I I would do it. But what I realized, and this is something that I think a lot of people don't like to talk about because, you know, it's sensitive and all that stuff, but I can talk about it. What I realized was it was creating a financial insecurity in me. Yes. It was creating a deep seated financial insecurity in me. It was traumatic for lack of a better term to suddenly be out of $700 just suddenly or to suddenly be out of $1,000 or to suddenly be out of like $1,200 cuz that meant that I couldn't pay my rent or I couldn't pay my car note or I couldn't pay or I couldn't just simply live in the fullness of my purpose. And when I realized it was creating a financial insecurity in me, I really had to get clear on how I was going to continue navigating my relationships and thereby setting financial boundaries. So I actually worked with um, a coach (laughs) to help me start articulating to my mom and start articulating to my father and start articulating to my cousins how to say no in ways that still nurtured or still kept the relationship. So how does that look? So I'll just say 
I'll just talk a little bit about, you know, my mom. So, you know, when I graduated, I was working and living in New York City. I lived in Harlem. I was working at a top 20 law firm and my mom was still living in the projects. So that was, you know, really hard for me because it was trying to navigate or vacillate between what was essentially two different worlds. And my mom was having a difficult time with my brother who has Down syndrome and autism. So there were times, there were months that she couldn't pay the rent or she couldn't pay a bill. And she asked me for like 600, 700, maybe a thousand, whatever amount of money. And I would just give it to her on a whim. And I realized that, again, it was creating a significant financial insecurity in me and I couldn't pay my loans and and I, and I wasn't staying on task with my financial goals. And it was creating resentment in me, frankly. I had a really difficult relationship with my mom because I never knew if a call was simply her checking in on me or her asking for money. So I wasn't forthcoming with her. Like I just, I, I, I was guarded and it, it just wasn't a good look at all. So I talked with the coach and she helped me understand that just like me, just like you, just like every first generation professional, our parents are adults. Our parents are adults. And just like they have before we were born, they will figure it out. So essentially what I was coached in doing was I limited the amount of money that I gave to my mom and I called her up and I said, hey, mom, I'm going to continue supporting you, but I'm going to support you in a way that works for both of us. What I'm essentially going to do is give you like maybe one or two hundred dollars per month. I'm going to automatically deduct it from my account and nothing more. And she got angry. (laughs) She got very angry, but I stood my ground. I stood my ground and that went on for about six months. And eventually she started actually thanking me. (laughs) This is the first time I'm actually talking about this conversation. So please forgive me if I'm rambling. This is the first time I'm saying it publicly. No worries. But I was able to set a very clear financial boundary that worked for me and that worked for my budget. And essentially when I deducted the one or $200 per month from my account and gave her nothing more, guess what happened? Everything happened to work out for her. She figured it out. She figured out how to pay her rent. She figured out how to pay for a cable bill, how to pay for all these things that she was asking me for. She figured it out, which meant to me that I could essentially form these boundaries and she could figure it out. So that to me is something that I want to consistently remind first-generation professionals You know, obviously utilize a plan that works for you. But what worked for me was limiting the amount of money I gave my mom each month, but consistently giving her a certain amount and having her figure out how to get the rest. And it works and it continues to work. And we've been doing it now for about four years. I, you know, maybe every so often I might give her $50 more. I might give her $100 more, but I'm very, very limited in what I give my mom and I can actually budget for that. And it works for both of us. So that is what I mean by forming healthy financial boundaries. 
I appreciate your vulnerability. I appreciate you for being so just so open because this is not an easy subject to talk about. And it's not one that we talk about enough in the first gen community, not openly, because I think there's a pride thing that's there as well that, you know, a lot of us, and I say a lot of us, because I mean, because everybody I've talked to, we have this thing that we want to make our families proud. Yeah. And a lot of times making our family proud is beyond the degree we want to be able to be successful in our own right, but we also want to be able to help and give back and be supportive. Um, we want to do the things like, you know, save the day for lack of better words. And it's not that, yeah. like you said, being able to limit the budget or being able to say, well, this is all I can do. That could be in a lot of emotional, a big emotional thing to, to navigate because you feel like you're doing something wrong that you're not helping. And that you're not doing more. So, and if I can just say this, everybody talks about, oh, I want to buy my mom a house. I want to buy my mom a house. Like, yeah. yeah, but you're going to be house poor. <laughs> yeah. Everybody can't be poor here. Like, we have to be able to build financial wealth. And one of the reasons why I thought it was just so important to have this conversation with my mom is because I've, you know, read the statistics. I've looked at the articles about African Americans or people of color or people who are first generation not having generational wealth. Yes. That for me, I made a conscious decision to say the buck stops here. I am not going to have my kids living from paycheck to paycheck. I'm not going to have, like, I want them to have fancy things. I want them to have a, like a trust fund or, or what have you. I want them to have that opportunity, the opportunities that I didn't have, but it has to start with me sowing seed into the life that I want for myself and my future generations. And I can't do that if I'm suddenly giving $700 or giving $1,200 or giving $1,500 whenever somebody asks for it. That's just not sustainable. It's, it's just simply not sustainable. So I really had to understand, again, the overall why I was doing this and how it could be done. Like the, the, the manifestation of a purpose is not simply going to work and doing well at work. It's engaging healthy conversations with family members. It's engaging healthy conversations with friends about how exactly you navigate this journey. And that's why for me, years ago, I had to really sit my mom down and say, I can only give you X amount of money. And it, it, it had to happen. And I'm glad it happened. And it's still happening. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nothing at all. And it's making, again, making sense of your life and your journey. And somebody has to talk about it. Somebody has to say it. So glad that it's been said now. And to all of, you know, the family that's listening, like we're a family for a reason. We're here because we want to be able to help each other navigate this thing called life. Absolutely. And so for you who is listening, who's been struggling with what to do because you're feeling like you have to save the day, I think you have two choices. You, you know, save yourself or save everybody else. But I mean, well, no, here's a third choice. You find a good middle, you know, which Rookie has been able to do and I've been able to do. And it's taking years to find that good middle. And to not and to be okay sometimes with family or maybe even friends being upset because of what I can't do. Yeah. And because of what I'm not going to do because of what I have to do. So I, I love this. I love this. Ricky, we are getting to a point where we're gosh, we're in the conversation. And it's just been so good and so and so rich. And so like, man, we can do this forever, which I'm pretty sure we we probably will. We'll keep talking. But I, you know, I have a just just a few more things, you know, that I'd like to ask of you, you know, just be able to share with the amazing people who are listening and really soaking this up because I'm pretty sure somebody's gonna call you and be like, girl, I needed that. <laughs> Can you tell us, you know, at this point, what do you think is some of the best advice somebody's ever given to you? 
You've given us advice. What has somebody given to you that you've carried and that you've honored? Oh, yeah, that's a really good question. I think some of the best advice that I still reflect upon now is know the value of your time. Know the value of your time. As you continue in your career, as you continue in your purpose, the value of your time is going to grow exponentially. And what exactly does that mean? That might mean that whereas in college or in school, the value of your time might have been, let's just put an arbitrary number on it, maybe $50 an hour. Now the value of your time is like $100 an hour or $200 an hour or $300 an hour. And because the value of your time is growing exponentially, you have to be cognizant of how you're spending it. Are you spending it with friends, which is a great thing, you know, obviously. Are you spending it maybe, I don't know, cleaning your house, which can be a good thing sometimes. Or are you spending it in growth opportunities? Are you spending it in ways that can really help you grow and realize the fullness of your calling? So understanding the value of your time is just really, really important as you grow in your purpose. And yeah, that's something that's a really good piece of advice that somebody gave me. I think that's good advice. Very good advice. And it's all about investing in yourself too. (laughs) And, And the last thing that I'd like to ask, and this is my favorite question because it just really is the one where you get to just tell off or maybe not, but no, but what piece of advice or what thing, what thought, what message would you like to leave us with to carry with us for the rest of our lives? I love this. The thought or advice that I would love to leave with you is your purpose is not necessarily going to be easy, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's not your purpose. Your purpose Mm -hmm. might, you know, it might question you, might have you dig deep into the essence of your being. It might have you in the office on a Saturday morning, just trying to figure out how to make work work. It might have you having difficult conversations, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's not your purpose. So understanding that as you navigate the fullness of your purpose may make it a little easier. I think for me, understanding that has made my purpose a little easier for me. Mm, Yes, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that and for that reminder. Even for myself, you know, I just try to be for real because it's not easy, (laughs) but it is absolutely worth it. And you know, no regrets, no regrets. So yeah, so we're on the internet. Can we find you, Rookie? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at the First Generation Purpose Project. You can also find me on LinkedIn at Rukayatu Tijani. And you can find me, you know, on on the Google. Just feel free to on the Google. Find me on the Google. Reach out to me if you have any questions. I love helping people out, particularly first generation professionals. You guys have a special place in my heart. So yeah, and also feel free to invite me to your organizations and institutions. I'm doing a lot of speaking opportunities. So yeah, I'm excited to to connect with you guys. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, rookie, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for your wisdom, your knowledge. In my head, I'm thinking I'm going to have to invite you back one of these days so we can, you know, have a, have another conversation because I really enjoy, you know, the work that you're doing and I'm inspired by it myself and I'm glad that we were able to connect. Thank you to the internet. So this is awesome and we look forward to, you know, hearing from you again. Until then, you know, definitely want you to take care of yourself and keep pressing forward. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. E. It was so great spending time with you.